Welcome to The Word is Resistance, a lectionary-based podcast exploring what the Bible has to say about making sense of life under oppression, what the Bible has to say about building movements that can resist structures of evil, particularly white supremacy. How might these holy words, these scriptures, strengthen us, challenge us, and invite us to the work of liberation in our time? This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for this podcast. My name is Claire Brown, joining the podcast for the first time. I'm a spouse and mom, a writer, and an Episcopal priest. I live and work in Eastern Cherokee and Creek Territory in Chattanooga, Tennessee. The city was named for the Creek word for a nearby mountain called Lookout Mountain in English. The word Chattanooga means rock rising to a point. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith as a resource for white people doing the work of dismantling white supremacy as part of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you are someone who is taking on responsibility to challenge systems of oppression, including those racist oppressions within the Christian tradition, we hope that this podcast is a helpful tool and a space for exploration. This is not an only white space, however, and we welcome feedback and accountability from listeners of color always. Before we turn to the text this week, I invite you to pray with me for a moment of silence, which I will conclude with the collect from the Book of Common Prayer for the first Sunday after Christmas Day. Almighty God, you have poured upon us the new light of your incarnate word. Grant that this light enkindled in our hearts may shine forth in our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Not unlike the Bible, the Book of Common Prayer is inextricably linked with white supremacy and colonization. Through the Anglican Church's enmeshment with the British Empire and the Episcopal Church's enmeshment with the U.S. American Empire, as most religious texts have been and can be, its words have been used to oppress, to commodify, to excuse, to distance. But it is also full of creative and gritty hope, visions of new ways to be together in God, and a guide to grace and freedom. So this week especially, I choose to look back into my tradition for the lights, for the moments of liberation, seeds of resistance, hope and resilience for those Anglicanisms that wrestled the tradition out of the hands of colonizers. Because now we are in the liturgical season of the incarnation. Those feast days that celebrate that God has been and is in our midst in surprising and subversive ways. God is grace in the midst of violence, courage in the midst of fear.
on the first Sunday after Christmas, we dive into the next chapter of the story of baby Jesus, the Holy Family in flight to Egypt to escape the wrath of King Herod in Matthew chapter 2. Though the lectionary gospel this week picks up at verse 13, let's look earlier in the text at the setup to this story, which offers us a glimpse into some of the power dynamics at play. The chapter begins, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, King Herod the Great was the puppet king of the Roman Empire in Judea, the local branch of a vast system of exploitation. And his story was one of massive drama, affair, divorce, murder, political power playing. In King Herod, we see a government leader who holds a terrorizing power with high levels of anxiety, low to no levels of organizational or community health. He is dysfunctional under the contingency of Rome's approval and ruled through a culture of unstable and jealous power, holding toxic alliances and lashing out irrationally at any threats to his legacy. Now, we're no stranger to that kind of governance, are we? That attitude of leadership which leaves people in a continual state of fear and confusion. But we'll come back to that later. Matthew's magi are some of the most emblematic figures of the Christmas season, and yet some of the most mysterious characters in the gospel. The popular tradition calls them the three kings or the wise men, but they were more likely scholars of astronomy and astrology or priests. And while the Christmas carols say there were three, we don't actually know how many there were from the gospel text. We do know that these folks had significant autonomy and resources to pursue the adventure of seeking out that star and its significations. They must have been privileged to be able to offer such costly gifts to the Holy Family. Far from their home, they were unattached to the power games of Herod in which they find themselves, and they came to pay homage, not make alliance or challenge authority. But in their seeking, as they approach Herod, they find out a little bit more of what the stakes are. They learn about the prophecies of Torah and get an introduction into the ways and demeanor of Herod. The gospel's repeated phrase, the king of the Jews, points out Herod's own fraught relationship with both his own authority and his Jewishness, each undermining the other as he betrayed his people for position and power through the Roman Empire. Imagine how the Magi's seeking their clear-sighted articulation to find a king would have grated on Herod's ego. So with instruction to inform back to Herod, the Magi go to visit Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. 
but after being warned in a dream, that strange sleeping terrain of our deepest unconscious insight, the place of spiritual epiphanies, the Magi avoid Herod after their departure. They refuse to be complicit in what would come. And here's where the lectionary picks up. Now, after the Magi had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. A common theme across the Gospels is the way that their writers build the story of Jesus into the story of the Jewish people. It is meant to feel familiar, yet somehow new. They interpret their experiences of Jesus as the fulfillment and extension of God's work among God's people and as a unique and new way that God was being present to God's people. So at this point in the plot, Matthew wants his audience to understand that the story is one that they have heard before. Let's see where. The text goes on, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem. So we have a mad power hungry ruler killing all the babies of the Hebrew people, but one special baby is going to be saved. Matthew is setting Jesus up in the framework of the Moses story. And the narrator is laying a foundation for the redemptive arc of the Exodus. Here the gospel offers a quote from the prophet Jeremiah to further cement this connection, marking the flight to Egypt from Herod's infanticide as the fulfillment of ancient texts. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. In this, we also see a beautiful thread of women's resistance. Rachel's weeping and Mary, her descendant running. Women's resistance is strong in the story of God's people. Lamentation, running, the preservation of children also calls back to Shifra and Pua the Hebrew midwives who helped enslaved women save their children from Pharaoh's murderous attempts on the firstborn. Do you know the spiritual, Oh Mary, don't you weep? The song originated in enslaved communities in the United States, but then was made known broadly by the Fisk Jubilee singers from Nashville, Tennessee, who performed it on tour and recorded the song in 1915. Some of the lyrics go, Oh Mary, don't you weep, don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got drowned. Oh Mary, don't you weep. And connect the grief of Jesus' mother to the resistance text of the Exodus. It is that long line of liberation, hope, in spite of all odds, sung out in beautiful melody and beautiful biblical understanding by those working to be free in the midst of chattel slavery. And it stands through time as a movement song today. We are building.
God's people, the children of Jacob, first fled to Egypt for a refuge from famine and then fled Egypt in the exodus to their promised land. But as we see the Holy Family mirroring that journey, returning again to Judea after the news that Herod was dead, they find that the threat, that nightmare, the danger to their child is not over. The story goes on, but when Joseph heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. Though Herod had died, his hatred, his twisted relationship to the power over him and the people he ruled, lived on in a new iteration through his son. Fear and violence passed on to the next generation. Same oppression, new face. So it is with all social oppressions. Matthew makes this part of yet another fulfillment text. He will be called a Nazarene. Although this quotation is not found in any of the Hebrew Bible scriptures, in its reference we see that the gospel writer is very committed to conveying that this story of Jesus is Jewish through and through, deeply rooted in the story of God's redemption for Israel and God's words spoken through the prophets. Just this month, grassroots organizations here in my home state of Tennessee coordinated a faith-based strategy, petitioning our Christian governor to accept refugees, refugee placements under the executive order on enhancing state and local involvement in refugee resettlement. This order requires states to opt in to accepting legal immigrants who have documented and been accepted with refugee status in our country. We know that the executive branch of our federal government is making xenophobia and racism normative. We hear a constant story, a constant lie, of scarcity, fear of difference, hatred of poverty, desire to control, In the midst of this cruelty and self-preservation, our call to action is to advocate for the welcome of folks who, like Jesus and his parents, are fleeing from danger. As the global immigration crisis continues, we are called to do our part to take responsibility for our country's contributions to it. We are called to become agents of radical hospitality instead of hostility. And as children continue to die at our country's southern border, incarcerated and neglected, we are called to see every immigrant and refugee as an image of Jesus, 
whose parents ran and fought for him to survive. This story offers us also some broader wisdom. I want to name that for our intended podcast audience, white people working against white supremacy, the Magi offer a particularly interesting invitation that I find to be very empowering and accessible. Now, these folks didn't necessarily have a stake in what was unfolding in Judea. Their position and privilege could have allowed them to opt out of engaging. But they still give an example of some tools and wisdom available to our work today by choosing to be a part of this story. First of all, the Magi were not fighters. They were not equipped to go head-to-head with Rome. They weren't in a fair fight with Herod's power, his armies, his vindictive violence. Often, direct resistance isn't possible or prudent. We might feel so outmatched that to go up against systems of oppression in obvious confrontational ways is so costly as to be ineffective. But in the Magi, we see three important actions. First, the Magi told the truth. They named a new king and were unapologetic in seeking an alternative way of power. They named the need for new power and they were committed to seeking a different possibility, a new alternative to what it meant to hold authority. Second, the Magi paid homage. Their act of honoring and giving gifts to Jesus was a political act. It shows discerned and humble recognition of the dignity of those who are oppressed. It shows discerned and humble recognition that God is powerfully present in unexpected places. To leverage power and resources in support of those without is a form of resistance. To pause, to honor those living and leading in the struggle is a form of resistance. Finally, the Magi refused to be complicit in oppression. Even at the cost of certainly inconvenience and possibly risk of being targeted by the oppressor. They refused to believe the lie of self-preservation that keeps empire going. They went out of their way to refuse to assist evil. Perhaps they had some inkling of the violence to come, but whether or not that was part of their divine warning, they discerned Herod's evil intent and refused to be intimidated into supporting it. So friends, let us look for ways to take action on behalf of those fleeing the Herods of this world. May you receive the resistance wisdom of the Magi. May you be strong to tell the truth. May you be humble to pay homage. May you be brave to refuse to benefit from oppression. 
and the blessing of God, our liberator, the parent, the child, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org. Our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search the word is resistance. The transcript will include all the exegetical resources I use today and a few other resources as well. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter or join the conversation by commenting on SoundCloud. Next week, we will hear from Will Green. Thanks, as always, to Max for your great work with the sound editing. Peace be with you. Yeah.